open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we are starting a new series this morning entitled Christmas Stories. Christmas Stories, and we are excited uh, for what the Lord is going to do in our midst over the coming weeks. Uh, And as we begin this series, uh, we are going to be talking about the story of Christmas, the true story of Christmas. And so uh, as we begin this series together, uh, I do want to open up with a quick question uh, to kind of get us thinking along these lines. And so uh, many of you are already turned to Luke 1, and so go ahead and take a minute to get there. Um, but as you're there, I just want to open up and ask a question to get us started. And uh, some of you have already begun to watch different movies or stories, or you're reliving some of those things because of your children now, or even your grandchildren are kind of coming into that age where they're starting to enjoy these stories. And so I just wanted to ask, and you can answer aloud, uh, what is your favorite Christmas story, Christmas movie, Christmas story when you were growing up? What was your favorite Christmas story? Who wants to give me one? Yeah, go ahead. It's a Wonderful Life. life. Okay, someone else. White Christmas. Okay, give me something else. Okay, I got a couple here. What's that? The Christmas Carol, okay? Red Boots for Christmas. Okay, haven't heard of that one. I gotta look that one up. Anyone else? Okay, The Christmas Story. Okay, it's a classic. That's a good one. That's my favorite now. So, like, that was my favorite a little bit as a kid, but I've gotten more into it as I've gotten older. Okay? The Grinch. Thank you. I'm some, somebody said a, a classic, man. Okay, so for me, when I was growing up, my two favorites, and there's so many good ones. But my two favorites were probably the original Grinch. That was just, that's just a classic. And then probably the the Christmas Carol, but the Mickey Mouse edition. Okay. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The Mickey Mouse one that came out. That is, by far, that's one of the best ones, by the way. I mean, it's just awesome, awesome, awesome movie. And so a lot of stories, a lot of great stories. And I think one of the reasons we love these stories and we've identified with these stories it's because a lot of it brings out different emotions, different thoughts, different memories of our own Christmas when we were growing up. And so we can identify with these stories. I mean, these, these stories are ingrained. Um, now, I wish Hollywood would get a little bit more creative. It seems like all they've been doing lately is just remaking movies again and again and again every 10 years. Um, but it's all right. But there's some great stories around this time that are told. The difference is I want to talk about not just a story of Christmas, I want to talk about the true story of Christmas. All these movies, all these stories that we've heard, and all these movies we're going to watch, and I think it's the Christmas story that, uh, what is it, New Year's Eve, they run it for like 24 hours or something on a couple channels. And so, yeah, we'll watch those movies, and we'll, we'll pop popcorn, and we'll drink hot chocolate. It'll be great. But I want to go deeper than just those stories. I want to look at the real, true story of Christmas, because unlike the story of the Grinch, the real Christmas story is a true story, the true story of Christmas. And so you're in Luke chapter 1. I just want to read the first four verses of Luke 1. So Luke 1, 1 through 4. Uh, so we're going to read this together kind of as a way to kind of springboard into our talk over the next couple of weeks. It says here in verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely beloved among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding or complete mature understanding of all things, from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, who is a uh, someone of leadership that Luke is writing to, uh, most likely in the Roman 
uh, empire, the Roman society. He's trying to encourage this Theophilus, this individual who is also a believer, with some encouraging things to show him that their faith is based in historical facts, not just a hunch or an opinion. It says in verse 4, that thou mightest know, listen now, know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday nights, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Luke for many, many weeks. Um, I think we're in, tonight we start chapter 18, I believe. Um, And we're going to journey through the rest of the Gospel of Luke on Sunday nights. But if you've been in there, we've already kind of covered this passage weeks ago. We kind of went back to it even recently to establish the whole reason that Luke writes this Gospel. But before we get into the Christmas story contained in this gospel, we must first understand it was written with historical accuracy. Luke, if you've been in the study on Sunday nights, you know this. Luke went above and beyond to give us in his gospel as many ways as possible to show us you can go check out what I'm telling you. As he's writing to this individual, Theophilus, he's saying, you can go back check this. You can go fact check all these things I'm telling you. These things are true things that happen. So before we get to Luke 2 in a little bit and we really read about the birth story of Christ, we have to understand this gospel as a whole can be trusted. Not just because it is the word of God, although that is enough. Also because Luke, the author of this gospel, goes above and beyond to say, listen, you can know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Luke spends a lot of time giving information and instruction about the basic life and ministry of Christ, which we know begins with the birth story of Christ. Now you can kind of stay around Luke. We're going to go over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at one more passage to kind of get us introduced to this topic this morning. Matthew chapter 1. In the same way that Luke kind of gives us an accurate, uh, historical design to, to show us we can trust with certainty what we've been taught and instructed, Matthew does something very similar. Matthew 1 and verse 18. Matthew 1 and verse 18. It says this in verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now this is interesting because verse 18 follows verses what? 1 through 17. There you go. We're there, okay? We can can walk this out. When you see verses 1 through 17, you see what is called in Scripture a genealogy. What's another way to say genealogy? Ancestry tree, a family tree. Okay, yeah, it's kind of this idea of looking at your lineage, going backwards. The Jewish people here in Matthew, the Jewish people considered genealogies very important. And they were meticulously kept accurately with family lines. The Jewish people kept meticulous records of genealogies because they considered it highly important, your line, where you come from. Here we read in Matthew's gospel the truth about Mary being found with child by the Holy Ghost, which is important because it follows a very detailed genealogy of the line of Jesus. Again, if Matthew is accurate in his details leading up to the birth of Christ, we can trust what he's going to tell us about Christ is accurate. 
as Matthew's recounting this genealogy to show us this line, the Jewish readers that were primary audience of Matthew's gospel are reading this, and then they get to verse 18, and they read about Mary being great with child. And they can understand this individual, this one that is coming through Mary, this is the Messiah. This is the one that has been promised that will come. So in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, we see great detail given to trust what is being recorded. You see, this is a true story. The Christmas story is not based on a true story. It is a true story. And that makes all the difference. I want you to understand this now. The Christmas story is not based on a true story. It is a true story. It makes all the difference. It's not just like Frosty the Snowman, although I loved Frosty the Snowman. Again, I felt a little sad this morning looking out. I saw Frosty, you know, kind of not looking healthy. So I had a little thought of, you know, encouragement that he'll come back again, as the song says, right? So, okay, good. He's coming back. He's not gone forever, okay? I mean, I like Frosty. He, it, I wish he'd visit me less often, you know? I mean, maybe like once every six years or so would be great. Um, but, you know, every couple of weeks, we're getting a little old with that already. So, but no, I mean, when we think about these stories of Christmas, they're great stories. They're entertaining stories. They're fun. And they, man, it's just good to sit around and laugh at these things, right? I mean, the movie Elf is becoming probably one of the more popular ones today. Um, a lot of people like that movie. It's fun to just sit there and look at this grown man in an elf costume, okay? That's just, that alone makes the movie hilarious, okay? But when you see these stories, it's, it, it's good to celebrate those things and have fun with those things. But those are not true stories. But man, the joy that we should have at this time of year is based in so much more, as I said already, in decorations or a tree or some gift. And it goes so much deeper than that. And when we forget the true story of Christmas, we start focusing on these, these material things. We start focusing on these circumstantial things. And we lose the whole drive of the season. And that's when I feel we fall into that living in the chaos, as Greg prayed about already. Living in the stress. I'm thinking it's more about having the home perfect so you can have people over and have a dinner instead of just saying, you know what, let's choose people over perfection and just enjoy people right now. Let's just enjoy our relationship with Christ right now and not worry about the little things so much. Let's not stress about that gift because if you spend hours and hours and hours stressing about that gift, you give it to them. Man, what was the reason for the gift? Was it so that they would give you something in return so that you would get a gift in return? Was it so that they could say, oh, thank you so much and just praise you and heap praises on you? Or did you really think, man, this gift, they're going to love this and I just want them to have this? And then the joy that comes on their face when they open those ribbons and open that paper and you just see the smiles. And that's where it's at. But how do we enjoy those things? How do we focus on those things instead of the cultural things of Christmas? We have to understand it is a true story that we're basing our Christmas in. I want to look at a few things this morning around this idea of a true story because I believe this true story can truly be trusted. It's a true story that can be trusted it was prophesied in the Old Testament as early as Genesis chapter 3. There are, depending on the source, about 15 prophecies about Jesus' birth alone. 15 Old Testament prophecies, depending on who you study or where you look, that's a good round figure. 15 prophecies that just involve the birth of Christ. And they range from 1,200 to 500 years before Christ's birth. 
So 15 prophecies, 1,200 to 500 years before Christ's birth. One of the most popular or familiar is found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I'll read it to you this morning. Micah 5, 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. I want to do this this morning. We've read some scripture. I want to just pray. And I want to ask God, God, help this true story to be fresh to us. It's so funny. I sit around and I think, okay, Lord, we're going to do a Christmas series in December. And this is a window into the mind of a pastor. Okay, so some of you should be scared. Some of you should be excited. It just depends on where you are. Okay, some of you are pastor's kids. And so you probably remember hearing your dad uh, talk about what am I going to do for Christmas? How are we going to do Christmas different? It's always, I mean, it's the same story, right? Like that's the whole point of Christmas. We're telling the same story. How do we make it new? How do we make it different? And I was sitting around thinking about that, and it just kind of dawned on me that the Lord was just like, why does it got to be different? Why has it got to be new? Isn't the story good enough as it is? And I thought, Lord, thank you for that humbling thought. And so as we open up these scriptures, as we talk about this idea of this true story, I want us to be open to it and say, Lord, I want it, I want it to be new, even though it's old. I want it to, to hit me in a new way, even though it's a familiar story. And so let's do this. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through these scriptures this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. And we thank you that over 2,000 years ago, you came to this earth, that you were born in that small little town that no one really paid attention to. Your circumstances were so meager. Lord, as was already sung this morning, who would have ever thought a king? Who would have ever thought that, that the way you entered this world, that you would rule over sin and death and hell, that you would set us free from our sin, that you would heal the blind, that you would raise the dead to life again, but Lord, we shouldn't be surprised by those things when we read them in your Gospels after your birth because after your ascension into heaven, to this very day, that's exactly what you're doing. Every single time somebody repents of their sin and trusts in Christ as Savior, you heal their blindness. They can spiritually see and they can only spiritually see because you have rose them from the dead and they are now living and breathing. So Father, we pray that we would be excited for just studying these things and looking at these things, but also Lord, just desiring to know you more. Lord, I know it's a familiar story. But I pray that, that it would be new to us today. And I pray that we would believe this story is true enough to know that if you came and you were born of that virgin, that the rest of the story is true, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on a sinner's cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and you rose again on the third day, and it's putting our faith and trust in you and you alone that we come to salvation. Lord, these are familiar stories, but I pray they would not become familiar to us to lead us into apathy, but they would be familiar to us to lead us into an excitement and a joy to know that you are still a God that saves and still a God that does the impossible. And may you be glorified in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 was prophesied about 700 years before Christ's birth. 700 years before Christ was born, Micah prophesied that Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Micah eliminates every single city on the planet 
except for Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah. Think about that for a moment. 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah prophesies and says, this is the city. And in so doing, from that point for 700 years, he eliminated every other city on the planet. There was now one option of where a Messiah could be born. Every other option is taken off the table. And let me ask you a question. If you were making up a prophecy just to gain followers, just to gain merit, gain merit just to gain influence, as a prophet of God, even though you, you weren't. But if you were just making up a prophecy, let me ask you a question. And you had to prophesy about Messiah's birth. Which would you do? Would you pick a vague city or a vague area? Make it as vague as possible so that wherever Messiah is born, you can say, look, I was right. Even though I only said he's going to be born somewhere in this region. And make it very shadowy in your description. If you're making it up, wouldn't that be what you do? Versus saying, I'm going to name a specific city in a specific country that can easily be disproven if it doesn't happen this way? If you're making up a prophecy, which way are you going to go? I would say most people would go with the vague prophecy because why? It can't be proven or disproven. But the minute he named Bethlehem, the minute Christ was born in that town, now the prophecy comes true. Now it's accurate. And it validates every other prophecy prophesied about Christ's birth. And you see, just if you think logically about this, it would make no sense to name a specific city unless you knew with certainty by God's Spirit that's where he'd be born. And the minute he was born in that town, everything came into light. Every other prophecy could be trusted. This is just one example of the accuracy and reliability of the biblical account of Christ's birth. Just one. I mean, just, it's amazing to me to think about the accuracy of Scripture. Could you imagine the prophets and the religious leaders, and they read about Bethlehem being where Christ is going to be born, and they're thinking, really? That's not where I, I mean, I would do it differently. Where did the wise men go when they heard, or they believed Christ was being born? Where did they go? Jerusalem. Why did they go to Jerusalem? Because that's where the palace is, and we're going to worship a newborn king. Even the wise men didn't think it would be in such a meager setting. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't do what we would do. I'm so thankful God's thoughts are above my thoughts and God's ways are above my ways. I'm so thankful that Christ came symbolically to that manger, to that couple, to those teenagers most likely, in meager settings. I'm so thankful he came that way because the rest of his ministry showed that type of a life. I mean, think about how did Jesus interact with other individuals in his life? When the religious kicked them out, he went to them. When the lepers were cast out of the cities, he went to them. See, he was born in that setting, and he lived in that setting. And I'm so thankful because we, as sinners, needed him not to be the king ruling in the palace, but the king that came to the ghettos, to the peasants, and said, this is where I'm going to live. Because in the muck and the dirt and the filth of sin, that's where I'm going to connect. That's where I'm going to go. Now, the princes and, the, and the, you know, the, the higher up, the nobles could be saved, and he gave them opportunities. The Apostle Paul witnessed to, to rulers and kings. But I'm so thankful that Jesus' ministry is defined not by coming in royalty, but coming in humility, coming to us as we needed him to come. You see, it's a true story that can be trusted. I gave you one example of one prophecy. We could go on the rest of the morning looking at all these other prophecies and see where they were fulfilled. 
But I encourage you to look those things up and to see those things and see, oh, look, here's another one. Oh, look, here's another one. You see, it can be trusted. It's also a true story that stands the test of time. It's a true story that stands the test of time. As we celebrate the story of Christ's birth 2,000 years later, we can still trust it because the passing of time has not changed the truth of the story. Isn't it interesting that even stories that are based on true stories can change over time? You ever notice this to be true? Stories that are based on true stories with the passing of time can change. Little details are changed or different things are, are interpreted differently. Let me give you an example. And I'm not saying anyone here would ever do something like this. I'm just giving you an example. Let's say in high school you played basketball. Championship game. You come down the court and you make the game-winning three-point shots. That's you. You did that. That's based on a true story. As you're telling the story, now you're in your 30s and your 40s, and that was your moment of glory because you never got drafted in the NBA, never went to college to play pro ball. You don't even know how that happened. But that was your moment in 10th grade when you made that shot, and the whole world was awesome, right? And as you told that story over the years, it used to be there was 30 seconds left on the clock or 20 seconds left on the clock, and I made that game-winning shot. And then 10, 15 years goes by, and now it's like, well, there was five seconds left on the shot clock, and I made that thing, and it was beautiful. Now it's like there's 0.5 seconds on the clock, and I made that thing, and the crowd erupted. And I got to go to the prom with the, the prom queen. It was great, right? I mean, you really went with the prom queen's cousin, okay? That's who you really went with, but you make this story up this way, right? Because over time, it's based in a true story. I mean, this, this happened... But over time, it changed. We're not going to talk about hunting or fishing stories because, you know, we never embellish those. Those are never. It was this big, right? I mean, we all hear these stories. Because over time, what tends to happen? We remember the basis of the story, but the details get what? Get a little foggy. So isn't it amazing when we don't remember a specific detail, we always air that what makes us look good. Well, I can't remember how the story goes, but I know it was something like this. You ever think about that statement? I can't remember how the story goes, but I know it was something like this. I don't remember how big the fish was, but I'm pretty sure we needed two boats to get it out of the water. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying it was something like that. Because as time goes on, we like to, as we forget the details, we embellish. Right? We exaggerate a little bit. This is why parents say, when I was a kid, and we went to school in the winter, we went uphill, 10 feet of snow, both ways, barefoot, shorts, because we couldn't afford pants. Only good families had pants. We wore shorts. We played with rocks and sticks because we had nothing else to do. Right? This is why these kind of stories are humorous and are told, because they might, now, you might have walked to school, and there might have been snow, and there probably was a hill. But other than that, I mean, the rest is kind of exaggerated. It's really, I walked to school like two blocks. We went up a small hill, because it's Michigan. There are no hills here, right? There's no mountains here. Right? I mean, we just embellish these things. Why is that? Because at our core, if we're being honest, we're sinful. And we're going to edge the story a little bit in our favor. And so as time goes on, the stories that are even based in true stories can't always be trusted 100% as time goes on. This is why when you tell a story, you guys are going to get together with family and friends, and people start telling these old stories, right? Grandpa's going to talk about all his things he did when he was a kid, okay? 
And you're going to walk away from this and going, yeah, right, I don't know about that, okay? I know he did that, but because as time goes on, it becomes less reliable. That's just, that just happens. But isn't it amazing that the true story of Christmas needs no embellishment, needs no exaggeration. It is the exact same story it's been for 2,000 years. It will continue to be the exact same story it's always been. And it's recorded for us so we can keep an accurate and exact account of what happened. There are those that doubt the story, that say it can't be trusted. There are those that say that it's a fairy tale or borrowed from other pagan religions. If you listen to the internet or history channel, sometimes you'll hear some things and you're thinking, oh man, my whole religion is based on a lie. My whole belief system is based on a lie. They say it's taken from this pagan religion or that pagan religion or this thing or that thing. I encourage you, look into those things and you will find that they are not true, that this story stands alone. There's always going to be accusations against the story, but that's why I'm so thankful that God recorded it for us. Because here's the thing, you can say, listen, it's not even my story. It's his story. He's the one that did it. And at the end of the day, if they want to doubt, they can doubt. But listen, I've always said this. If I, could, if I doubted gravity, like I could tell you, I don't believe in gravity. I think it's a lie. I think it's made up by the government, whatever, okay? Some of these people, the world is flat, right? We never landed on the moon, and I don't believe in gravity. That's, that's where I would be, okay? I could say I don't believe in gravity, but if I jumped off the roof of this building, my lack of belief in gravity would not change the reality of gravity, I don't believe in gravity, jump off the roof, splats, hmm, gravity. And the spiritual reality is you can say all you want. You don't believe in God's word. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You don't believe, you don't believe, you don't believe. God will give you that ability. Isn't that amazing and gracious of him to let you choose? Isn't that a loving God that doesn't force his love on you but says, I'll let you choose. It's your choice. I'll do everything possible to woo you to me, but it's your choice in the end. You can choose to believe or not believe. That's your choice. But your lack of a belief in God or God's word does not negate God's word is true. And one day, you will stand before him. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and you will, become face, you will come face to face with the reality and the truth of God's word. You could say, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. That's fine, but it doesn't change the reality. This is a true story that can be trusted and stands the test of time. It's also a true story that changed the world. A true story that changed the world. Matthew chapter 1, go over to verse 23. Matthew 1 and 23. It changed the world. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. When Christ was born, everything changed. In that instant, in that manger, the world that was cold and dark and given the greatest gift of all, God with us. To me, that is the most powerful reality of Christmas, that God was with us in the flesh. I mean, did you ever stop and think about what that really means? When was the last time that God in some kind of a physical manifestation where we could actually walk with him and talk with him and knew he was God? In the Old Testament, you see what's called theophilies or uh, 
manifestations of Christ before he was in the flesh. So sometimes in the Old Testament, it talks about uh, the angel of the Lord would come. And some, some believe that could have been the person of Christ before he took on flesh as a baby. These, these manifestations were never clear, though. They were never 100%. They were shadowy. People weren't really sure, is this an angel or is this God himself? So beyond that, when Christ is born in the flesh and God with us, you know when the last time was that God walked with us? Genesis, before the fall. The last time, really, was when man fell and God walked in the garden and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? You see, from that moment on, God no longer dwelt with mankind as he had before because of the influence, the, the, the invasion, if you will, of sin. Like, so imagine this. For thousands of years, God's way he worked was through prophets and through teachers and through visions and through given word. And then we get to Matthew. And it says that when Jesus was born, God was with us. Everything changed. I don't have to listen to just this prophet of God anymore. I could go to God himself. Man, think about those that walked with Christ. You walked with God. Not just God's man or God's prophet or God's teacher. You walked with God. Everything changed. And now when we, as followers of Christ, we look back to the cross and we receive Christ as our Savior, he gives us, we don't just walk with God. God is in us through his Holy Spirit. God indwells us permanently. Even in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on somebody for a reason. A prophet or a priest or a king would have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but then that spirit would be taken away once the job was completed or the task was done. See, it wasn't this permanent walking with Christ, walking with God, but in the New Testament, in Christ, we have the fulfillment of that, where now we are in dwelt with the Spirit of God. God is with us all the time now. I mean, did you ever stop and think about that reality? That, that coming here or not coming here or going to church or not going to church, that no matter where you are, God is with you. I mean, did you ever think about that reality? There's two things I think of when I think of that. One, it's extremely comforting that God is with me all the time. Do you know what the other thought is? It's extremely scary and concerning. Because everywhere you go, God goes. And I know this is where the youth pastor in me is tempted to just kind of lay that in thick. This is where we tell the teens, everywhere you go, God goes. I pulled that card out all the time. You're going to that party, God will be there. And then they give that look. God will be at the party? Okay. God is with us. So while that makes us think about what we do in it, man, here's the reality. Are we saved by grace, not by works? Yes. But when I know God is with me, doesn't that change how I live? Doesn't it change how I approach the situation? How about when I respond to my children, when I respond to my spouse, my wife, when I respond to a coworker, do I respond in the flesh or do I realize God is with me? I can respond in a better way. God with us. In the Old Testament, again, following the fall of man, we see God communicating through prophets and priests. Before the fall, God walked with man in the Garden of Eden. Once sin entered in, the relationship with God changed. Now people had to go to a mediator to get to God. Even forgiveness of sin came through the priest in the temple. But then Jesus came and everything changed. 
God chose to come to us and to show himself to us in a clear and miraculous way. Jesus said to his disciple Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. John says in John 1.14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything changed when God came to us. And here's the thing, we need to know that. You need to know that everything changed when God came, when Christ was born. The world is different now. We can see the world in a different way. We can live in this world in a different way because God came to us. And God is with us still. It's a true story that can be trusted. It's a true story that stands the test of time. It's a true story that changed the world. And it's a true story that brings the greatest joy. It brings the greatest joy. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. You ever been amazed by that? I've always said this. I have to note this every time I read a verse like this. I think our imagery of angels is completely misguided. I don't think angels look like what we've always made them look like in Hollywood or in movies or whatever. Because I've never seen an angel show up and someone's just like, Hey, how's it going? An angel must have been a very intimidating appearance, a very intimidating figure, because every time the angel showed up, what did the people around that angel do? Tremble with fear. I mean, I think the power of our God is extremely underestimated. And I think when you realize God with us and the power he brings, it changes everything, not just for the world, but for us as well. He goes on to say this in Luke 2.10. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Do you you know what the reason the world was changed when Christ came? Because it didn't just change those that would come to know Christ. It didn't just change those that would come to receive salvation. It changed the world. Why? Because now the world is given a message. There's a message of great joy and hope that is extended to the world. The story of Christmas, or I'm sorry, the story of Christ's birth doesn't change the world. It brings good tidings of great joy to all people. It doesn't just change the world. It brings good tidings of great joy to all people. I want you to think about your greatest joy. Take a moment, and I want you to do this. I want you to think about what is it in your life that brings you the greatest joy? What is it in your life in the past that has brought you great joy? Take a moment and think on that. I want you to picture it in your mind, whatever it is, whoever it is. I pray that it's a who and not an it, but maybe it was a time in your life that you just, it brought you great joy. Uh, There was a season or maybe there was a meal that you had with a loved one who has now gone on to be with the Lord. And and that time you spent together is just the most joyful thing. Think about the greatest thing that brings you the greatest joy. You got that image? You got that thing in your mind? And doesn't that just, it just warms you, doesn't it, to think about that? Doesn't it make sometimes when you want and you want and you want, and then you remember that joy, it makes these other wants seem to kind of become less and less important? 
Then you just enjoy that, that memory of that individual, that time, that person. Do you got that thing in your mind? Do you, are you thinking on that thing? Are you remembering that thing? Remembering that person or person maybe is still in your life? I want you to know, and I can't explain it any other way, that joy you feel right now, that the joy that Christ brings is a thousand times greater than that. It's a million times greater than that. Some of you might be thinking, man, my greatest joy comes from Christ. Then you know what I'm talking about. Because I can trust that he came. I can trust that he was here. I can trust that he is with me. I can trust that his glory is before me. I can trust that he is who he says he is. The joy that comes from trusting in Christ is not temporal. Some of you remembered a loved one, someone that you got to spend time with. Maybe it was a, a grandfather that you grew up and you just were able to kind of spend time with that individual. And, and I remember I was at one funeral and this girl said that uh, she was in her young 20s at this time, but she said she remembers when she was a kid going to her grandfather's house and he would come home from lunch, for lunch from work and it would be the summer and and she would be hanging out, and, and he would sit in his recliner, and she would sit like at his feet. And he would be cutting an apple for lunch, eating an apple, and he would eat a piece and cut a piece and give it to her, and he would take a piece and give her a piece, and just they would just talk, and just he would tell stories or make jokes or whatever. And, and she said when she stood up at his funeral, she said, that is the greatest memory I have of my grandpa. But see, here's the reality. Although that memory brings us joy, that moment brings us joy, that joy is ultimately temporal. There was a time where that stopped. She was no longer able to experience that joy in the same way she once did. The joy that Christ brings is eternal. It will never end. Nothing can take it away. Nothing can stop it. Now, Around this time of year, many of us will sit around and watch movies, watch, as we've said already, different stories. We'll, a lot of Christmas movies are coming out, right? I'm, any Hallmark movie people, you love the Hallmark movies, raise your hand. Okay, I've seen some hands. There was hands like this, and then there was hands like this. Okay. Don't, don't they do like a whole big like marathon thing or something now? I don't know, okay? And I know, here's the thing too, I know. I saw some guys do one of these with their arm, one of those hand raises, okay? You're good. I know you feel a little weird, Hallmark movie. I know, I got that. I was just talking to a guy this last week who I called him and I said, hey man, he, he answered the phone kind of with a raspy voice after it rang for a little bit and gets up really early for work. So I thought, oh, I, I woke him up. You know, and I said, hey, I said, were you sleeping? Oh, no. No, I don't know if I'm going to tell you what I was doing. And I said, well, I mean, am I going to be displeased, like disappointed? Is this a sin issue? Like, don't, don't tell the pastor when he calls you and says, you're not going to like what I was doing. That doesn't put a pastor's mind in a good place. I'm thinking, like, we got to get the board involved. Like, wh where are we at here? Like, don't go there. Right? But he said, no, no, I said I was, uh, and a man's voice gets a little low at this point. I was, uh, I was watching, and I heard the gulp, I was watching a Hallmark movie with my wife. And I stopped him, I said, hey, I said, you're good. 
I was like, the reason you've been married as long as you have is probably because you've reached a point where you watch Hallmark movies with your wife. Pray for me. I can't do that yet, okay? I'm not there yet, okay? But pray for me. We'll get there at some point, okay? I just, I have a hard time with a movie I can figure out in five minutes watching the next hour of it. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't bring me joy, okay? I told that to Sandra once, and I said, I can figure this out in five minutes. Why do you watch this? And she's like, everybody figures it out in five minutes. Just enjoy the movie, okay? <laughs> that, and I always feel bad for the, for the first good-looking guy in the movie you see. Because he's, he's messed up. He's never going to get the girl. It's never the first good-looking guy. It's always that, like, second good-looking guy who's from the small town, you know, not the big city lawyer. Mm, no, he don't get the girl. It's the small town mechanic that somehow is single at 30, right? Like, I mean, how does that happen? But anyway, <laughs> we watch these movies, right? And sometimes they're a little cheesy, okay? But, okay, a lot of times they're cheesy, that was a woman's voice, by the way. I'm just saying. But as we watch these movies, we get around this time of year, and man, there's just, and Cheryl mentioned it. She said, even this morning in that first song, there's just a different spirit in this time of year. There's just a different attitude. Uh, what's that, the Christmas song that says, basically say hi to everyone you meet, right? As you're walking down, this, just say hi to everyone. During this time of year, there's just this something different. That's all good. Zero wrong with that. I, want, I love that this time of year, even culture, non-Christian culture figures out we should be more loving. We should be more giving. We should be more generous, right? Fundraiser after fundraiser are put out by different individuals of different non-Christian events or organizations. And it's all good. But I love that when we see these things coming out in our culture, we, we watch these movies that make us feel more like we should be loving or we feel more loved or those kind of things. I love that we don't have to grasp that why do we feel that way. I love that our culture can't quite put their finger on why this time of year brings this feeling and this spirit about the time of, of just this culture. Well, why do we do this? Why, do we, why are we driven to be loving during this time of year? Why is this any different than any other time of year? But we know that there's a joy that comes from the true story of Christmas. And everything we're seeing, when you, when you think of your neighbor before yourself or Holiday Depot, so some, some many of you have participated in that. Uh, someone came to me and said, I'm not doing Holiday Depot, but we decided as a family we were just going to pick someone in our community and we just want to be a blessing to them. Awesome. Man, awesome. But why? why? Why is that happening? Because it's an overflow of a joy that we have inside of us in Christ. And even those that don't know Christ, I truly believe that the reason they are thinking these things is because it's God's way of encouraging the true story of Christmas. And there's something more than gifts, something more than trees. It's just there's something deeper, and it's a joy from a true story, the true story of Christmas. So as we enter into this time of season... I want to give you a little time this morning to prepare yourself. I want us to pray. I want us to get excited. I want us to be joyful. I want us to look for opportunities. And I know we've got a whole month of Christmas celebrations and dinners and parties, and they're all good. Uh, listen, within reason, can I encourage you, enjoy yourself. 
I mean, I don't know why we get around Christmas and we think, oh, man, I can't really enjoy myself. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. This is celebrating his birth. You can enjoy yourself. You can celebrate. I mean, it's not unbiblical to have a good time with family and friends. And in fact, the more you celebrate in the true nature of what Christmas is all about, the more you're going to encourage people to come to know Christ. Don't be an, an Eeyore this Christmas. Oh, I didn't get to Cyber Monday in time. They didn't have what I wanted at Black Friday. What, really? No, celebrate, enjoy, right? Go to the meal and just within reason, hear me now, within reason, just enjoy what people prepare. Just enjoy, just have fun. I mean, I don't know why we bind ourselves up in this stuff. Just enjoy the time because there's a greater joy that we can celebrate this time of year than anyone else that doesn't know Christ. As we enter this Christmas season and look forward to celebrating the greatest story of all time, I want to encourage us to realize that the story of Christmas is that Christ came and that God is with us. It is a true story that can be trusted, stands the test of time, changes the world, and brings the greatest joy. So will you come and just spend a moment and praise him for coming Maybe you'll come when we open up an invitation in just a moment and say, God, I just want to thank you for coming. I want to thank you that you're with me. I want to thank you that 2,000 years ago you were born in that manger because it changed everything. Will you come and praise him that because he came, you are his and he is yours right now? That you know forgiveness of your sins because he came. Not because he had to come, because he chose to come. Would you bow in prayer with me as we open up a time of invitation? Father, we are so thankful as we gather together today to worship you, to exalt you. And Lord, we know that for the Christian, we celebrate your birth, we celebrate your coming all year long. But this time of year, there's just something special about this time of year, this time of season. It seems like it's on everyone's heart and everyone's mind. And I pray that we as followers of Christ would step out of our comfort zone, show love and grace to those around us, that we would encourage those that don't know you to know the true story of Christmas. Thank you that the story of Christmas can be trusted. Thank you that it needs no exaggeration, no embellishment, that with the passing of time, it's the same story it's always been. Thank you that the story of Christmas changed the world past tense and is changing the world present tense that every day we wake up that you are with us that you are active in this world drawing people to you to be saved i pray that we'd be excited about what you're doing and have done and thank you lord also that the story of christmas brings the greatest joy may we have joy this season may we celebrate in every aspect of who you are and what you came to do and what you did by extending salvation to us. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing and will do. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation? Maybe you'd come and just bend the knee and say, God, thank you that you came. Thank you that I can trust this story. Thank you that it stands the test of time. And I want to just bow before you and praise you that you are with us. Emmanuel and all the joy that brings. At a time of stress, he is with you. A time of struggle, he is there because he came. Would you respond to what he's doing this morning? 
and respond to his call in your life as we sing.